Last week we talked about our mission. Our mission is, say it with me, is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission here. Pure and simple. If you look at 2 Peter 3.18, we desire to see people grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's what we're about. Is we want to see people come to know Jesus, and we want to see people grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. But that's our mission, our strategy. Our strategy is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped. We want to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped. And we don't want to be a church where, there's, where we've just got a gazillion programs that are going in different directions. We want to facilitate really what God is doing in each of your hearts. So our strategy is to create environments where people are encouraged and equipped to pursue intimacy with God, to encounter God in His Word, to develop evangelistic relationships, participate in a community group, be proactive in multiplication, and to passionately serve. That's our strategy. And then last week we talked about our first two core values. And those are really the only two core values that are in any kind of order. The first one is intimacy with God. It begins and ends with intimacy with God. We were having dinner with some folks last night, and one lady defined intimacy as into me see, into me see. Think about that in the context of your marital relationship. You can't have intimacy without openness and transparency. But we said that there were three requirements for intimacy with God. You remember those? One was time spent. You can't have intimacy with the Lord without spending time with the Lord. The other is transparency. God wants to know. He already knows our hearts. But he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to tell him when we're fearful, when we're scared, when we're joyful. He wants us to come to him when we've sinned. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is righteous and just to forgive our sins. He wants us to come to him. Transparency is a big part of a relationship, an intimate relationship. The third requirement is mutual sacrifice. You can't have intimacy without sacrifice. God already did his part. Christ did the ultimate sacrifice and went to the cross for you and me. We're to pick up our cross daily and sacrifice for him. So those are the three requirements for intimacy with God. Second core value is encountering God in his word. God has spoken to us through the Bible, and we recognize it as our ultimate authority. It's our second core value. For those of you that are new here or have been here a couple of times, what we do 90% of the time is we teach verse by verse through the Bible. We've been teaching through 1 Corinthians, and we finished up chapter 7 in the third week in December. Next week we'll be starting chapter 8, and we do some special Sundays from time to time. Most of you, if polled, and we asked you why you come to this church, you'd say because of God's Word. Because God's Word is taught in an expository manner. But we don't want you just to become and see. We want you to learn to encounter God and His Word on your own. It's huge. We don't want you just to come and receive on Sunday alone. We want you to be equipped and encouraged to encounter God and His Word on your own. So let's move to uh, today. The title of today's message is called The Great Giveaway. And we're going to talk about our final four core values. Each of those have elements of giving that we can't recognize these core values. We can't understand them without understanding what we need to give up. Core values are 
not necessarily a roadmap. When we met as a leadership committee back in December, talking about our strategic plan, somebody said this church needs a roadmap. You need a vision. Where are you headed? Well, we felt like we had a vision, but we haven't really articulated it very clearly. And the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, vision or core values is a roadmap. That's the way I was processing it a few weeks ago. Then I was reading and studying the last couple of days. Core values really shouldn't be a roadmap. It should be a compass, a compass that points us in the right direction, that we continue to look at to make sure we're going in the right direction. That's what core values are. Isn't that a neat picture? So core values are not a roadmap. You can be headed in the right direction, and there's all kinds of little dirt roads and highways and state roads that take us to the same destination, but we want to make sure we've all got a compass. We're headed down the road in the same direction. You know, all of us are called to ministry. Every one of you are called to ministry. Ministry should be more of a journey and an adventure, not a destination. It's about the king and his kingdom. It's not about programs. It's about changed hearts. Not about Sunday morning attendance. You know, so often when somebody asks me about how's things going at Windsor Community Church, I'll say, you know, we, you know, our attendance is X. Our giving is X. That shouldn't be a measure of the health of the church. It should be our hearts and how we're growing in the Lord. It's about changed lives, not endless activity. Ministry in church is about changed lives, not endless activity. You know, there's two things in each of your lives that I could look at, or you could look at at mine, and you could tell what's important in my life. You know what those are? It's our calendar. It's our checkbook. That really will show what's important, what you value. Talk about that as families. Does our calendar reflect who we want to be? Does our calendar reflect the core values of Windsor Community Church? Does my checkbook reflect those values? I want to talk about our third core value. First one is intimacy with God. Second core value is encountering God in His Word. Third is community with believers. And here at Windsor Community Church, we have small groups, and those small groups are called community groups. And community groups are accountability, belonging, care, spiritual growth, and discipleship. Those things happen best with relationally connected believers. And I really want to challenge you that if you're not in a community group, I understand that there's some folks that just can't be in a community group. For example, I know a couple of ladies that their husbands are not believers, that are not Christians, and they really don't want their wives being a part of community groups. I understand that. But for the most part, everybody here should be a part of Christian community inside the context of a local church. I wanted to know what community was, what, what the dictionary said about community, so I looked it up. It's a social, religious, occupational, or other group sharing common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respect from the larger society, which exists. A community group is part of the larger church, but it really is distinct. Every community group has its own personality. As Dean said, every one of them have different demographics. Many of them are teaching different things. They've got their own personality. If you're not in a community group, please, I, I just I urge you, for your benefit and the benefit of your family, find one. Plug in and get intimately involved. It's been a blessing to Nancy and I and to our kids over the years. Just a quick story. When we left a community group that we were in in Fort Collins. By the way, moms and dads, this community group that we were in in Fort Collins, you know who was sitting in that community group eight years ago? My daughter's husband. You never know what's going to come out of that. (laughs) 
And our kids were ticked when we decided to leave that community group and start one of our own. They were ticked. You know why? Because there was no kids their age in our community group. There was all kinds of little rugrats, Lottens, Knutsons. <laughs> it was so much fun. We loved it. And our kids learned what it meant to be an influence on younger people. They learned what it meant to be an older brother or sister. They learned what it meant to give rather than just receive. So I would just say to you that one of the last criteria in a community group, way down here on the list, should be homogeneous, homogeneity. Is that a right? Is that a word? It's where everybody looks, smells the same. They're all professionals. They're all blue collar. They all work on cars. I mean, it it just really should be people that are relationally connected, that love each other, and want to make a difference in each other's lives. Okay, it's cool when their demographics are the same. That's okay, and it's it's a good thing. But don't let your kids run the house. I'm seeing a few of the parents doing this to their kids. Genuine community requires three things. It requires our time. If you want to be in community with believers, you've got to invest your time. Meeting together. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says the following. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How in the world are you ever going to stimulate or encourage one another to love and good deeds if you just see them once a week on Sunday morning? Community group is where that happens. It goes on to say, Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You are not to forsake the gathering of believers. And I told you that oftentimes I stick my foot in my mouth, and I may be doing it now, but I believe it with all my heart. I'd rather see you in a community group. If you had to make a choice now, between community group and Sunday morning. I'd rather see you in a community group. That's the assembly. That's where growth takes place. That's where needs are prayed for. That's where people are encouraged. That's where people are sharpened. Okay? Now, don't walk away from here and have a discussion saying, well, Dan said it's not important to come on Sunday morning. Okay, we're going to see in the scripture in a minute that it is critical to be here on Sunday morning. But I'm illustrating the importance of it. If you have time for one of the two, community group should be the priority. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And this was right at the beginning when the church was being built. Many, many people were coming to Christ. Thousands of people were coming to Christ. And as they were coming to Christ, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's talking about the large group of believers. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have a need. And day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. That's the large gathering. And breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness, with sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We've got a great example. When people came to Christ in the early church, they lived together. There was no separation of blood family and Christ family. I mean, they did everything together. And that is just a beautiful 
example of what I've experienced at times in our community group. And there's going to be seasons where you're going to be busy, you're going to be disconnected. But for the most part, the Lord wants you to be intimately connected and spending time with other believers. The second thing that we need to give to have genuine community is our resources. In the early church, any needs there were, they were met by the church at large. Any needs at all. And that's really where I'd love to see us meeting each other's needs. Certainly in the context of the big church, but more specifically in the community groups. Typically when there is a sickness or there's a baby born, we want to see the community groups rally around their brothers and sisters that are in the community. Now, of course, everybody's not in a community group, so we'll take care of those needs any way we can. So the second requirement for genuine community is resources. The third requirement is our talents. Encouraging, training, and sharpening each other. Proverbs 27:17 says, Iron sharpens irons. Iron sharpens irons, so one man sharpens another. How in the world are we going to sharpen each other without spending time with each other? I want you to sharpen me. I want to sharpen you. Titus 2, 3 through 5, it says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Older women, that's a relative term. It's your job to train the younger women. And the best place to do that is in the context of community group. Okay, we're in the context of just community with believers. I know that some of you live in a cul-de-sac that's got a bunch of believing families in it. What a neat community that you all have. Even though you're in different community groups, you've still got a community. And that's cool. It's a great picture in that cul-de-sac of older women teaching younger women. So I'm talking a lot about community groups here, but really the core value is community with believers. And our chosen method, if you will, of bringing believers together in this church is small groups called community groups. You tracking with me? Genuine community requires giving of three things, our time, our resources, and our talents. Why? It's for the purpose of encouraging one another to love and good deeds. Mutual accountability. When you're outside of community with believers, the enemy's going to have a heyday with you. A heyday with you. You need to be connected. You need to have accountability. Sharing resources, including meals, praising God, and reaching out to unbelievers. I'd love to see that happen in the context of small groups. Our fourth core value is relational evangelism. And hey, Joey, would you, can you plug that video in, buddy? Grant, are you not aware of what's going on outside in the field? What? You might want to come check this out. Mitch decided to bring his Bible class outside today. After he started teaching, Matt Prater stood up and accepted Christ as his Lord. It was awesome. He started confessing stuff from his life. He started asking his friends for forgiveness. Next thing we know, Bob Duke stands up and does the same thing. Kids start breaking up into groups. They begin to pray for each other. They begin to ask forgiveness for sins that they committed. This has been going on for three hours. How did you not know what was going on? 
big part of my day. I'd like to go see you. I'll take you right now. Has anybody seen that movie? What's the name of it? Facing the Giants. Great. I want to see that movie. I've heard some amazing things about it. And that's in the context of a school. But the power of that little clip is that there was a man, a man that had devoted his time and passion to praying for that school, that there'd be a revival in that school. Then there were others like the coach that, and I saw a couple of different clips, that devoted their time to building into these kids for the right to share the gospel. And a revival happened in the school. And what the, the context is for us here today is the community of Windsor. I get emotional when I think about it because uh, I turned 50 this year in August. Can we pray? <laughs> I know I don't look that old. Thank you. I feel every bit of it. And, uh, you know, um, I want my life to count. I really want it to count. You know what the definition of life is? It's that hyphen between two dates on your tombstone. We spend so much time. You were wondering when the emotion and passion was going to come up, didn't you? We spend so much time as a family. So much time. I know you guys spend time as a family. As a church, just on the treadmill of life. Spending our time and spending our money on things that have no eternal value. I haven't seen your calendars. I haven't seen your checkbooks. I know mine. And there are people perishing all around us. Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is the one who saves. There's nothing we can do to talk somebody into the kingdom. But for whatever reason, he chose us to be his vessels to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here, and please be honest. Anybody in here that was influenced by a person or led to Christ by a person, influenced for the sake of Jesus Christ or led to Christ by a person, I want you to stand up. Look around. Sit down. The song I can't get out of my head, and I, I even found a cool video, but it just had too much weird stuff on the video. But this, the song was thank you for giving to the Lord. And if I could sing, I'd sing it to you right now. Think of that person who led you to Christ. We've got a, uh, Kelly, we've got a tremendous responsibility. We are stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are stewards of the good news of Jesus Christ that is the only hope for this world. It's the only hope for our kids. It's the only hope for our neighbors. It's the only hope for our coworkers. We can do all we want. We can work so hard at moralizing this world. We can get the New Testament. We can get the Bible back in the schools. We can shut down the abortion clinics. We can get Christians in office. None of that's going to change people's ultimate destiny of going to hell without the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our battle is not to moralize society. Our battle is to bring the gospel to people. Amen? And our core value is not just evangelism, but it's relational evangelism. 
because of what we just saw when people were standing up. I mean, I don't know what the percentage, but it's, percentage, but it's huge of the number of people that have been led to Christ by an individual. Yeah, there's people that come to Christ through a Billy Graham crusade. Our brother Dennis Martin did. Those are good things, great things. But most of us come to Christ because of a relationship. And our core value reads, God's message of forgiveness through Christ is most effectively conveyed within the context of a personal relationship. Relational evangelism requires four things. It requires your time. Building lasting and trusting relationships is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time event. Relational evangelism is not inviting somebody over for dinner one time or to coffee one time. It's loving them. I love this quote. It's by Sam Williams. I have no idea who Sam Williams is, but I thought I'm giving credit, even though I was really tempted to take credit myself. In building relationships and serving others, our ultimate motive should be salvation. Not our ulterior motive. Our ultimate motive should be salvation, not our ulterior motive. You ever felt like a project? I have. And people can see right through it. Yes, we should build relationships because we love people and we desire to see them in the kingdom, see them in heaven someday. That should be our ultimate motive, but not our ulterior motive. Can you really love people if they don't dress the way you do? They don't think the way you do? They maybe I don't know, maybe they're homosexual. My youngest sister, I'm the oldest of seven. Got the scars to prove it. My youngest sister's a lesbian. And I used to always argue homosexuality. It's bad. It's evil. It's a sin. You know what she heard? Wah, 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 wah. Because I didn't love her. Okay? Now, it's not an issue. I love her. And I keep pointing her to Jesus. Because you know what? When she comes to Christ, you know what's going to happen? Bye-bye, lesbian. Got a good friend. Some of you remember Bob Fine. And Bob said in his testimony, he was led to Christ by a guy at Camp's Crusade. And Bob could not wrap his mind around creationism. He was an evolutionist. And the guy said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Put your faith and trust in Him. Know that He came and died for you and He rose again on the third day. And that the only way to the Father is through the Son. And guess what? God opened His eyes. You know what no longer became an issue? Evolution. He was a creationist. So, folks, this whole relational evangelism thing is about loving people. The first thing we need to do is to spend time. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Isn't that our desire? That people would ask the question? How are they ever going to ask the question if we're not spending time with them? And they're not seeing our lives. And seeing that our lives are different. John 17, 16 through 18. I love this verse. And it doesn't get talked about enough. This is Jesus praying to the Father before he gets crucified. And he says of his disciples, of which we are as well. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Father, sanctify them in the truth. 
Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As the Father sent Christ into the world, Christ sent us into the world. Christ was a messenger of good news for 30 some years. He passed that baton on to us with the power of the Holy Spirit when he ascended into heaven. That's what that verse is all about. So the first requirement for relational evangelism is your time. The second requirement, of course, is the gospel. You've got to have the gospel in your back pocket all the time. Romans 10, 16 through 18 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. People eventually need to, to hear it. They're not going to get saved by our good works. They might ask about Christ as a result of our good works. But they're not going to get saved by our good works. Philemon 1.6. How many of you knew there was a book called Philemon? It doesn't get talked about enough. Verse 6. And I took this from the NIV version because it's, it's perfect. It just, it's, it's, it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. So that you will have a full understanding of everything good that we have in Christ. That's my prayer for each of us. I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith. The third requirement for relational evangelism is love and compassion. That's a requirement. In building relationships and serving others, salvation is the ultimate motive, not our ulterior motive. Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. Again, at dinner last night, I'm glad we had this dinner because I got all kinds of material. But this, this one lady shares Christ all the time. She has opportunities all the time. And I said, do you love people? She says, I love people. Now, how are we ever going to share Christ with people or invest in people without love and compassion? 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. This is a picture of Paul loving people and being compassionate with people to want to dive into their culture. Okay? Paul wasn't afraid to jump into the culture. And I really believe if we want to be used by the Lord, we need to jump into the culture. And the culture is different for you and you and it's different for me. We've got our own culture. And our culture comes with people, we, our neighborhood, people we work with, and the Lord wants us to jump in and love them and have compassion. The next thing we need to give, I couldn't think of a way to say this, so I called it our perceived rights. You know what one of my perceived rights is? Particularly with, well, with everybody, but particularly with people that don't believe the way I believe. I have a perceived right that I have a right of being liked. That they actually, I want them to like me. We should care less about people liking us. That's not the goal. And you're probably going, well, Hardy, you sure don't work very hard at people liking you. <laughs> Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You ever been there? I have. Where the Lord prompts your heart. And you say, no, Lord, not now. We're here to spread the gospel. I want to read a story here. My bride actually gave this to me yesterday. And it's a story that many of you have heard before. It's by Beth Moore. And it would sound better if somebody like Susie Thompson read it with a southern accent. Where was Susie about? But I'll read it. Beth Moore is an outstanding Bible teacher, writer of Bible studies, and is married to two daughters. Waiting to board the plane, this is Beth speaking, waiting to board the plane, I had the Bible on my lap and was very intent upon what I was doing. I had a marvelous morning with the Lord. I say that because I want to tell you it is a scary thing to have the Spirit of God really working in you. You could end up doing some things you never would have done otherwise. Life in the Spirit can be dangerous for a thousand reasons, not the least of which is your ego. I tried to keep from staring, but he was such a strange sight. Humped over in a wheelchair, he was skin and bones. Dressed in clothes that obviously fit when he was at least 20 pounds heavier. His knees protruded from his trousers and his shoulders looked like the coat hanger was still in his shirt. His hands looked like tangled masses of veins and bones. The strangest part of him was his hair and his nails. Stringy gray hair hung well over his shoulders and down part of his back. His fingernails were long, clean, but strangely out of place on an old man. I looked down at my Bible as fast as I could, discomfort burning in my face. As I tried to imagine what his story might have been, I found myself wondering if I just had a Howard Hughes sighting. Then I remembered that he was dead. There I sat, trying to concentrate on the word to keep me from being concerned about a thin slice of humanity served on a wheelchair only a few seats from me. All the while, my heart was growing more and more overwhelmed with a feeling for him. Let's admit it. Curiosity is a heap more comfortable than true concern. And suddenly, I was awash with aching emotion for this bizarre-looking old man. I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall. I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something dramatic is bound to happen. And it may be embarrassing. I immediately began to resist because I could feel God working on my spirit. And I started arguing with God in my mind. Oh, no, please, God, no. I looked up at the ceiling as if I could stare straight through it into heaven and said, Don't make me witness to this man. Not right here and now. Please, I'll do anything. Put me on the same plane, but don't make me get up here and witness to the man in front of this gawking audience. Please, Lord. There I sat in the blue vinyl chair begging His Highness. Please don't make me witness to this man. Not now. I'll do it on the plane. Then I heard it. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear, my heart leapt into my throat, and my thoughts spun like a top. Do I witness to the man or brush his hair? No brainer. I looked straight back up at the ceiling and said, God, as I live and breathe, I want you to know that I'm ready to witness to this man. (laughs) I'm on this, Lord. I'm your girl. You've never seen a woman witness to a man faster in your life. What difference does it make if his hair is a mess, if he's not redeemed? I am going to witness to this man. Again, so clearly as I've ever heard an audible word, God seemed to write this statement across the wall of my mind. That's not what I said, Beth. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to go brush his hair. I looked up at God and quipped, I don't have a hairbrush. It's in my suitcase on the plane. How am I supposed to brush his hair without a hairbrush? God was so insistent that I almost involuntarily began to walk toward him as these thoughts came to me from God's word. 
This is from 2 Timothy 3.17. I will thoroughly furnish you unto all good works. I stumbled over the wheelchair thinking I could use one myself. Even as I retell this story, my pulse quickens and I feel those same butterflies. I knelt down in front of the man and asked as demurely as possible, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? He looked back at me and said, What did you say? May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? To which he responded in volume 10, Little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk louder than that. At this point, I took a deep breath and blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye in the place darted right at me. I was the only thing in the room looking more peculiar than old Mr. Longlocks. Face crimson and forehead breaking out in a sweat, I watched him look at me with absolute shock on his face and say, If you really want to. Are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to, but God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right about then. He pressed on my heart until I could utter the words, Yes, sir, I would be pleased, but I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. I have one in my bag, he responded. I went around to the back of the wheelchair. I got on my hands and knees and unzipped the stranger's old carry-on, hardly believing what I was doing. I stood up and started brushing the old man's hair. It was perfectly clean, but was tangled and matted. I don't do many things well. But I must admit, I've had notable experience untangling knotted hair mothering two little girls. Like I'd done with either Amanda or Melissa in such a condition, I began brushing at the very bottom of the strands, remembering to take my time not to pull. A miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing the old man's hair. Everybody else in the room disappeared. There was no one alive for those moments except the old man and me. She just tuned everybody else out. I brushed and I brushed and I brushed until every tangle was out of his hair. I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for another soul in my entire life. I believe with all my heart, I, for that few minutes, felt a portion of the very love of God. That he had overtaken my heart for a little while, while like someone renting a room and making himself at home for a short while. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew that it had to be God's. His hair was finally as soft and smooth as an infant's. I slipped the brush back in the bag, went around the chair to face him. I got back on my knees, put my hands on his knees, and I said, Sir, do you know Jesus? He said, Yes, I do. Well, that figures, I thought. (laughs) He explained, I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't have married me until I got to know the Savior. He said, You see, the problem is I haven't seen my bride in months. I had open heart surgery and she's been too ill to come and see me. I was sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must be for my bride. Only God knows how often he allows us to be a part of a divine moment when we're completely unaware of the significance. This, on the other hand, was one of those rare encounters when I knew God had intervened in details only he could have known. It was a God moment and I'll never forget it. Our time came to board and we were not on the same plane. I was deeply ashamed of how I'd acted earlier and would have been so proud to have accompanied him on the plane. I still had a few minutes, and as I gathered things to board, the airline's hostess returned from the corridor, tears streaming down her cheeks. She said, That old man sitting on the plane sobbing. Why did you do that? What made you do that? I said, Do you know Jesus? He can be the bossiest thing. As we got to share... I learned something about God that day. He knows if you're exhausted because you're hungry. He knows if you're serving in the wrong place or if it's time to move on. But you feel too responsible to budge. 
He knows if you're hurting or feeling rejected. He knows if you're sick or drowning under a wave of temptation. Or he knows if you just need your hair brushed. He sees you as an individual. Tell him your need. I got on my flight, sobs choking my throat, wondering how many opportunities just like that one I had missed along the way. All because I didn't want people to think I was strange. God didn't send me to that old man. He sent that old man to me. Is that a cool story? Yeah. I want that to be my story. This lady, all glory to God, at the end of the day was just obedient. And she wasn't quite sure what the Lord wanted, but she was just obedient. We've got two more core values, and I'm going to blitz through those. The fifth core value is passionate about service. Our spiritual gifts have maximum impact when exercised in support of our strategy. There are three things required for service. Our time, our talents, and sacrifice. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. But Martin Luther King Day is tomorrow. And you know, I've got a dream. And I've got a dream that every one of us that live in Windsor, the town of Windsor, that the Lord would just give us a new set of eyes to see this town as he sees it. And I'm not sure I understand what revival is. But I want to see us take over this town for the sake of Christ. There are so many needs here. And the question that I have for myself and you is, would the community miss this church if we shut our doors? I don't think they'd miss us. Would the community miss this church? And I want to encourage you and plead with you to serve in this body. Let me put a P.S. on that. Because the same lady last night said, you know, I hear so often when I ask somebody to serve, as they say, it's not my giftedness. You know what? We don't always have the luxury of serving in our giftedness in a small church. Sometimes we just got to serve. I mean, I don't, I don't know that Beth Moore served uh, that brushing the hair of this old man in front of everybody was necessarily her giftedness. But you need to serve here in the church. I'll make a dogmatic statement. I'm kind of the king of dogmatism sometimes. You're not going to grow. You're not going to know the intimacy that the Lord has for you without giving yourself to service to the body and maybe even more importantly to the community or to non-believers. That's where real change is going to take place in our hearts and the hearts of, of people in the community. Can you imagine if 100% of Christians were serving and ministering inside the church walls and outside of the church walls? Can you imagine, instead of squawking about all the wrongs in society that we were serving? Hey, I do my share of squawking, so yeah, I'm, I'm part of this deal I'm talking to here. Barna has a great quote. I wish I would put it on the screen for you. The church is an island of piety surrounded by a sea of irrelevance. Let that soak in. The church is an island of piety. We're better. We're more righteous. Surrounded by a sea of irrelevance. Why do we not have an opportunity to share our faith? It's because we're, we can't relate. We don't try to relate. We don't get in the trenches with people. So passionate about service. That's our fifth core value. Our sixth and last core value is proactive multiplication. We're responsible to pass along to others the knowledge, skills, and opportunities that have been entrusted to us for personal, small group, and church multiplication. Four requirements of personal, small group, and church multiplication. It's the giving of our time the giving of our knowledge, the giving of our talents and our resources. 
2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these in trust of faithful men will be able to teach others also. That is the poster child verse for multiplication. The other one that, that really struck me was in 2 Corinthians 8, where the Macedonians were giving beyond what they were able. These were a poor group of people, and they were giving of their resources to see the gospel go forth. And Paul says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. We need to give resources and give people. Our desire here at Windsor Community Church is to see multiplication happen in a big way. The multiplication of of believers. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see each of us discipling people. Our small groups, I think we've got seven of them now. We'd love to have 20 of them a year from now. We're part of a church network that that desires to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward by planting churches in different communities. Okay, So we need to give away our best. Many of you that are sitting here today might be on the next church plant. That's a sacrifice. That's multiplication. The name of this message is called The Great Giveaway. And it's giving of our time, our talents, and our resources. Preparing for this message this week, I spent a lot of time in the Word. I'm a guy that has, usually has three or four books going that I don't finish the books. Um, but I read two books cover to cover in the last 48 hours. One was called The Externally Driven Church, something like that. And the other one was called The Kingdom Assignment. And I was so encouraged of the stories I heard of people getting out of their comfort zones. And getting on their knees before the Lord and say, Lord, how can you use me? How can you use my family? How can you use the community group that I'm in to reach the community, to love people? And you know, we had this harebrained idea over a year ago. You know, after, after you had an idea for so long, you start thinking it was your own idea. And you see there's hundreds of churches have done it. There's books written on it. So you, you know we heard it somewhere. What we want to do is we want to encourage you to go forward to step out in faith. I want to encourage you to latch on to something that is bigger than you are. To pray a big prayer. And I don't know about in your home, but our prayers typically are around you praying to get sickness out of our home. Give us rest, a restful night. Please pray for our, you know, we pray for our business. But I find that times that I don't pray the big prayer. I don't pray the prayer that God used me in a mighty way. You know, he's going to take care of the small things. And I'm not saying don't pray for those things. But when was the last time that as a family you prayed for God to use you in a huge way? It says in Ephesians that, that he will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we ask or can even imagine. Do you take that at face value? My wife and I are geared totally differently. I mean, she loves the comfort zone. You know, she loves to, you know, to kind of do things the same every time. You know, I'm all about change. I'm all about blowing people out of the water and then having them, you know, ask questions later in a holy, loving way. <laughs> thought I'd add to that. I want, you to, I want you to pray about doing something big. And for somebody, something big might simply be inviting the family down the street over for dinner and getting to know them at a heart level. For some of you, something big might be starting a tutoring 
program for elementary school kids in the Windsor School District. Something big is different for each of us because we're in different places of life. But we've got something called the Great Giveaway. It's what the whole message is. And I know that there's people out there that are cynical when they heard about it. And I've seen people go from cynicism this week to complete excitement. I had one guy write me an email and said that this is risky. But this is potentially the most exciting thing that Windsor Community Church has ever done. And what I've got here is money. What I've got here is, is God's money. And it's no different than the money you have in your wallet. It's, it's uh, $3,000. And I, can you imagine what the teller thought last night when I went in and took, took out $3,300 bills from Windsor Community Church? And I had an airline ticket in my pocket. But the purpose of this exercise is for you to take this money, for you to take a $100 bill, and I want you to pray about how are you going to use it. And there's only three rules. Rule number one is that you understand that this is God's money. Rule number two is that you use it outside the walls of the church to further the kingdom. And the third rule is that you come back in 90 days and tell us what the Lord did. Okay? Now, you won't have to get up here. We would love it if you got up here because I'm expecting that the Lord is going to do some special things. Particularly if you take the money and you just get on your knees as a family, as individuals, as a community group and say, Lord, how do you want us to invest this money? The last thing I'm going to read to you is very short. I'll give you disclaimers, two paragraphs. It says this. A few years ago, John Bruce, pastor of Creekside Community Church of San whatever, California, met with the principal of an elementary school in Oakland. He asked what the church could do to help the school. At the time, violence in this school was so bad that sometimes half the kids were absent simply because they didn't want to get beaten up. The church responded by providing men to be present on the playgrounds during recess and during the lunch hour. School attendance rose, so the church began looking for other opportunities to serve. They determined that they could have the greatest impact by working... with the bottom 10% of elementary school students. By working with this group, they hope to raise the level of education. Uh, Beyond helping students, the volunteers from Creekside support and serve the teachers by providing breakfast, recognition ceremonies, gift bags, praise and appreciation. The principal is quick to point out that these activities went a long ways towards maintaining teach morale during the difficult times of this past school year. Wouldn't it be neat? If any organization, I don't, I don't know what it is, any organization in Windsor, if they had a need, if there was a death in a family, that a mortuary knew that that family needed some loving kindness, that they would call us first. If there was a crisis, that the crisis center would know to call Windsor Community Church first. Okay? Would this community miss us if we shut our doors? And I think the answer is right now they wouldn't miss us a lick. Just a couple of, of uh, ideas. Some of the things I read about is that uh, there were men in, in a community that had a heart for single parents. And what they decided to do is once a month on Saturday mornings is to, is to have an oil change. Okay? You don't think relationships will come out of that when the same ladies come month after month to get their oil changed? The sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. Now what I ask is who will take a $100 bill? We're not going to write down your name. We want you to take it. Just one. Hundred dollar bills. Bless you. I'll be coming around. And it's okay to be a proxy. One of the ladies we were with last night says I won't be there, but I want the money. So they decided to be a proxy.
One left. Gone. Folks, there's $3,000. This is the Lord's money. You know, this can, be a, this can be a hokey project where the Lord could change the face and direction of our hearts and of this body for the sake of His kingdom. And would you please just, just pray? What a great object lesson for your kids. And I really suspect that there's going to be some, maybe even some ministries that start out of this. Why not? Why not world-changing life-changing ministries that start right here at Windsor Community Church. You got a dream? I got dreams. Life is short. Now is the time. Are you with me?